I want you to imagine something this morning. I want you to imagine that, that you have a car, and if you don't have a car, you can pick whatever car you want to imagine. If you're a, a kid and you want to imagine driving a car someday, you, you've got your vehicle and you're going on some errands. That's the sad reality for the kids. If you've got a car, you're going to end up having to go on some errands. But you, you're driving around, you stop someplace, you go inside, and someone comes up behind your vehicle and attaches a big metal chain net filled with scrap metal, with, with uh, shovels, rakes, all sorts of weird odds and ends metal apparatus. And they go about their way and they leave. And so you come out and you're walking and you approach the front of the vehicle and you get in the car and don't notice that there's anything different. You just pull forward and you're leaving, and maybe you've got the AC blasting, so you don't hear anything. Maybe you've got your radio, your favorite songs turned up, and you don't, you don't hear anything, and you can't see anything in the rearview mirrors. And you're driving along, and you think you are being a model driver. You are, you are following every rule. Like, you're not going five over the speed limit. You are actually using the speed limit as the definition speed limit. You are not texting and driving. You are coming to complete stops. You feel like, why can't everyone drive a little like me today? What you don't notice is the metal is scraping up the road behind you, and it got a few cars on your way out of that parking lot. And every time you make a turn, it's a little dangerous. You're, you're hitting a lot of stuff. And you don't see all of the damage that's coming along behind you because someone has burdened you down with all this weight, all this baggage, all of this potentially harmful and destructive things, and you're just carrying it around without noticing it. And the only way to stop hurting your own vehicle and everybody else is to actually just stop the car and inspect the car. You can't fix it until you realize there's a problem. And so at some point, hopefully, you realize maybe there's some other drivers who are giving you a little waving and saying, hey, look behind you. Hey, I see the red flag in your life. Do you, hey, do you notice what's, what's coming with you? And at some point, you've got to pull the car over, get out, and look. And today, I, I want to invite us to do some internal inspection, but also some external inspection. Because I think our God is longing to heal wounds in us and around us that sometimes we're just on autopilot, we're just on cruise control, and we don't take the time to notice, take the time to bring healing about. And so we're going to read from a story today. We're continuing Acts chapter 16. And I don't think I'm going to hype this story up too much, but I think this might be one of the most beautiful stories of healing in the entire Bible. And so I'm going to read not only our text, but in case you weren't here with us last week, I'm going to start at the beginning of this story and read through the material that we are going through today. And so Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and it says, One day as they were going to a place of prayer, they met a slave girl, who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. And while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim a way of salvation. 
And she kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, though, there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up and saw those prison doors wide open, he drew his own sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And at that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds and then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this story has had so many fascinating twists and turns. But Paul and Silas found themselves in prison because they had dared to free a woman who some business owners liked having control over. She made the money. Who cares if her spirit took over herself? You know, you don't disrupt the business. And so when they freed her, the business owners create this mob, this escalating frustration and anger. And so they go and they get the crowds mad and they get the authorities mad. But what they are creating is this sense of us versus them. If you heard in this reading, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us Romans to adopt or observe. This is an easy go-to of mob fears and anger to say those other people, those foreigners are disturbing our way of life. Root them out. And this is a a temptation not only in Rome, not only in Philippi, but throughout all time and spaces. That it's easy to say, hey, you, you who are different, you're disturbing us. And to create a frenzy where everybody wants to go and do something about it. Yeah, you're right. They are advocating for a different way of life. Let's beat them, shackle them, throw them in jail. And so Paul and Silas find themselves on the, on the wrong end of that mob. And the people in that story hand Paul and Silas over. 
And so we're just now getting to the character that we're going to spend our time this morning reflecting with, the jailer. Because the jailer is, quote-unquote, a good jailer. He does what he's supposed to do. The crowds hand him these beaten men, say, keep them secure. Why? They're a danger. Now, we know they're a danger because they're setting people free, but they're dangerous. We want to maintain peace. We want to maintain order, our way of things. Lock them up. Hold them tight. And so the jailer's like, I can do this. The jailer takes them to the innermost cell, takes them all the way inside, and then shackles their feet with stocks. Probably that those stocks are then chained up to a wall. And so, it, you know, you're in the innermost spot. If you're going to jailbreak, you're going to have to really try, right? You're in the heart of the prison, and you're, you're still locked up. Even within the bars, I'm going to lock your feet up. And that jailer did what so many of us do. He's living life on cruise control. He's following orders. He's doing what society says you should do. And I couldn't help but think about when I was reading this story, something that was in the news that caught my attention. A few weeks ago, maybe you heard the news story. There was a 101-year-old man in Germany sentenced to jail. He had been hiding for 77 years his past. And Josef Schutz was a security guard. He was a prison guard. He was a jailer, but at a Nazi concentration camp. And his job was to make sure nobody escapes. And his job was to make sure that they stayed safely inside this prison, ultimately often to their own deaths. And so many people, when asked, how did you go through these ugly, awful, horrific things? Because it started with firing squads, and then that was still too hard for people to watch. So many people die, and it transformed into gas chambers and crematoriums to hide all evidence. Say, how did you do this? This is so evil. What it, what were you thinking? How did you do this? Well, I was just following orders. And that excuse just kept echoing and just keeps coming back. And there was a way in which their story echoes throughout all time of, well, why did you participate in this ugly, awful thing? Well, you know, everybody was doing it. I was told to do it. I was expected to do it. And it's hard to break that cycle. It's hard to think for yourself. It's hard to see the world differently. But this jailer is just doing his job. And so it's, he doesn't even have to bat an eye. Of course there's some almost beaten to death prisoners. I'm going to shackle them up, put them in prison. And that's just my regular life. And so they're locked up. And then something very unusual happens on so many levels. First, a massive earthquake. Now, if you were Paul and Silas in jail, you'd probably be saying, here's a sign from God that I, don't, I shouldn't stay in this prison. This earthquake rocks the prison, the doors are broken open, and all of the people's chains are released. Primarily, probably, they're attached to the walls, and the walls are falling apart. And so all of the prisoners have the opportunity to escape. And you might be in your life praying, God, I need... I need, like, deliverance. That feels like the moment that you say, oh, I'm supposed to run out of here. But strangely, Paul and Silas don't run out of there. In fact, they've been singing all night. But the jailer, when he's disturbed from his sleep, 
And this story is one who's what it is metaphorically and physically to be disturbed and woken up from your sleep. He's in his residence attached to the prison. He comes into the prison. He sees the state of things. The doors are knocked down, and he's thinking, everybody's gone. And we have no risk-taking in these environments. If you let prisoners out, I don't know if you intentionally did it or unintentionally, but I'm going to treat you the same. And so I'm going to make sure that we keep prisoners in. So if you lose anybody, you're going to die. And maybe it's even harsher. Maybe your family is going to experience punishment. And so when he sees the state of the prison, he thinks, I am a dead man. And I'd rather get there faster. And so he's drawing his own sword. He's thinking about ending his own life because he has no future. He sees no hope. And in the midst of that darkness, here comes Paul kind of shouting from afar, hey, we're still here. Hey, don't do it. It says in the text that Paul shouts out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. Anybody have that kind of power and resolve? that the person who definitely looks like your enemy, that they are about to take their own life and you're wanting to interject and say, hey, buddy, don't do it. We're here. Don't take your life. It's okay. It's going to be okay. I think Paul is able to make this story, take this pivot in part because Paul has his own past. Paul has been on the other end. He has abused, he has mistreated, he has hurt people for the same things that Paul is now being hurt for. And so maybe there's a certain sense of empathy or compassion there that he can understand. You just don't understand what you're doing. Hey, we're still here. Please don't hurt yourself. And the jailer is taken aback and he has to run through the whole prison to go check. And I'm imagining that as he's running to that innermost cell where Paul and Silas are, he's seeing prisoner after prisoner still there. And when you thought you were a dead man, each person sitting there and looking back at you is turning your heart into melting. It's, It's melting it. You know, it's what is happening here. And so by the time he gets to Paul and Silas, it says that he like falls down before them and he's trembling. He's in an intense emotion. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about stories of inmates who've helped their prison guards. And I was like, what was that story? And I went and searched, and the challenge was, there's actually a bunch of these stories where people see someone having a heart attack, having a stroke, and they, they don't care that you're on the other side of bars, but they're saying, Hey, get help. And someone would get a walkie-talkie and trying to like radio in, hey, we need help, we need medical, we need medical. And this moment where this hierarchy is all disappearing, it's falling away, and that's someone that you wouldn't expect that wants life for you, awakens something in your spirit. And this man comes to Paul and Silas, and he's trembling, and he shows up, And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
He takes him outside and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't think he said, Sir, earlier in the story. Hey, Sir Paul, Sir, Sir Silas. I don't think they were being spoken to in that way earlier. But the man's trembling, and he says, I'm, he takes them outside himself because he knows there's something weird here. There's something I don't understand, and I have to understand it. What is happening here? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He is struck by the freedom that Paul and Silas are living with. I mean, all night they've been singing all these songs about who God is, and the prisoners all have their attention on them. But to be imprisoned and yet be so free is startling. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a good question. Yeah. I think this is a good prayer question because there's the ultimate salvation, but there's also just, Lord, what does your salvation look like right here? What do you need from me, God? What do I do? I want this thing that I, I see. It's beautiful. Lord, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, every time we see this word believe in scripture, this word could be believe, it can be trust. I kind of lean towards liking the trust language because it, it's a belief where you're going to act on it. It's not just something that's like, oh, I, yeah, I know that information. I'm going to hold it behind me. But he believes, he trusts that the Lord can save. And in our vantage point, it's hard to see this. The Lord Jesus, not the Lord Caesar. Caesar was Lord in Rome. And you've been following orders that all the way go back to Caesar. If you want to be saved, you don't follow the emperor who goes around proclaiming salvation and peace. You trust, you believe in the Lord Jesus. You and your household. And so they started talking about the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And so, remember, he's taken them up from that prison. He's, he's brought them into his quarters. Treats them as sirs. Asks, what must I do to be saved? They're telling them the story. And I love that it says, at that same hour of the night, he's going to do something. He didn't wait around. He didn't think and ponder on it. Hmm, I wonder what all of this means. But he went all out. I've got to do something right now. And so at that same hour, he took them and he washed their wounds. What a beautiful story. They were wounded all night. They came into prison that way. He did not wash their wounds then. He takes them into his house and he starts washing these wounds. And you know that has to be moving. See how they've treated you. How they've wronged you. And he's washing their wounds because that matters too. We don't live just in a spiritual world where our physical world doesn't matter at all. But what a beautiful thing to attend to the fact, I see that you have physical wounds. Let me wash them. Let me help take care of you. And while they've got the water out, Paul and Silas baptize that jailer and their whole family. What a beautiful image of the water in this story. All those, this brokenness, all this pain, all this blood. 
I'm going to wash it away because you need that healing. But that jailer and his family need that imagery of going down into death and dying to their old selves, their old life, their old practice, and being raised into new life and a life that they don't fully understand yet, but they are excited about and they know a little taste of what that looks like. And so that water there is a healing pool for Paul and Silas, a spiritually healing pool for the jailer and for his family. And that moment was a moment of healing. We don't often get to be face-to-face with people who have wronged us, who've looked down on us, and have this moment of clarity where we see each other as equals, not this hierarchy anymore. But there they are, healing one another. And so, Paul and Silas do not withhold baptism. They don't withhold life and hope but they offer it freely. Do you want to be one of us? Because if you've been mistreated and, and abused, it's hard to say, yeah, you can be join our group. Maybe you can say, I, I know a church across town if you want to be in that one. But hey, you can be one of us, baptized into the community. doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you decide right now. Do you want to choose way of destruction, of harm, of pain, of death? Or what is it to live truly freely? And so they invite them into that community. And so the jailer then brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer. What a great way to finish this night. You, you get the healing scene. And then you do what people do as equals. You join around a table and you enjoy the food. You have something to drink, some bread, some great food, whatever they could quickly prepare. But these people who had had this hierarchy relationship where I'm a great Roman, you're a, a, a Jew who I don't trust, now the gospel is breaking down those barriers and they're one community sharing one table together. And at that table, it's not solemn, it's just joyful. Why? Because we thought death was about to happen. I thought I was going to die and now I'm free. I want to celebrate. And I want you to celebrate with me. Come sit at the table. And I think this is a beautiful model for us. If you want to think about what is our faith, our spirituality about, God does not want this world to be filled with broken wounds, pains, death. But Christ endures those things. And so God is with us in the midst of our pain and our, and our brokenness. But ultimately, God wants healing. God wants those wounds washed. He wants those brokenness things mended. And so what is it for us to go about our life and to not just be on cruise control, on autopilot, but to look for where are there still wounds that need healing? Sometimes it's in me. 
sometimes it's like, well, instead of running from this thing, I should just face it and ask God, God, what does salvation look like for this thing? God, what does healing look like for this thing? Because I'm tired of bringing it around. Because sometimes those wounds, they just, they fester. And infection spreads, and it goes to other people in my life. God, I need healing here. And sometimes we have to look and see, oh, I've, I've harmed somebody. My spirit, the words I chose, my actions, it had an effect on that person. What is it to go to them and offer to heal those wounds? Forgive me, sir, to treat them with the respect that they deserve. And not to just pause there with, with healing and just feeling like, am I, am I still guilty? Should I still feel shame about that, that thing? But to move on from that healing into full life. Have the table, have the food, have the party, because life is worth celebrating. And so I love that this is a part of our own community's story. It's not just our individual stories, but we hope that this community is a place where healing is possible, where you might feel those wounds being mended, where you might be encouraged to think about what wounds are still festering so you can look for where salvation from God might come. But that we don't just stay there, but we get to celebrate who God is. And so for us, especially on Wednesday nights, we've been just throwing a big party every Wednesday night. And it's hey, good. And it's good. It's wonderful. People, yes. I've yeah. to a lot of people that make comments on how friendly you are, how you, know, you present to them. And I, I'm just going to say this half you know, there are times when I walk and you see people with their heads hanging down. And you say, hi, how are you? And they have a smile ear to ear. And I praise God with that because you don't know what those people are going through. Thank you. And, and for the folks who are, are at home and not in the room, um, Cindy was talking about, especially the people walking around in daily life, you know, you know the, the, the walk where... Shoulders are dipped, spirits low. But there's a way that walking into the celebration and to hope uh, just lifts spirits. And so one of the things that I enjoyed is we've been doing some interviews, which you'll, you'll see on social media soon, of some folks from the cafe of, hey, share your story of, like, what's the cafe meant to you? And, and so many people have mentioned that this is a place where they experience God, where they, it's a holy place. It's and one of the things is, is that we are not overtly shouting a bunch of like church speech at people. We're just serving people. We're treating them as Christ would treat someone. We're sharing. And that in that, people see something that's, that's possible, that's hopeful. And so throughout the week, you have the ability to go heal some wounds to listen to where God is saying, hey, there's some brokenness here that I think you might be able to speak life into it. You, you might hear God say, this person is on the edge and they need to know that life is possible. Amen. You might shout in the darkness from, uh, from afar. I hope you can hear me. We're still here. And that's a beautiful message. 
Because sometimes when you've been hurt and you've been pushed away, that distance just gets bigger and bigger. But every once in a while, you take a little leap of faith with God and say, God, I'm going to shout out, I'm still here. And I hope someone hears that on the other side of it. And so today, I just want to encourage you, whether this is just this morning, this afternoon, this evening, throughout the week, spend some time in prayer about where those wounds still need healing. And ask God, hey God, what does salvation look like for this? And don't forget about it when that healing comes. Throw the party. Celebrate it. We don't just have a faith that is grim and solemn only. It's a celebration. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you might make us mindful of the ways in which your healing has already been at work in our lives. Things that might have gone unnoticed. Lord, give us sight. Lord, for the things that we've given up hope that might be healed. Lord, give us the courage to ask, to dream. When life is bleak, when it feels just like there's despair all around, give us spirits that want to sing. Lord, I ask for all who feel like they're reaching out in the darkness trying to find their way, thinking that everything's fallen apart, thinking that there's no hope, that there's no opportunity, there's no more life. Lord, I ask that you might let everyone in that position know that your life is here and it's possible. Lord, we ask that you might just bring your warm embrace to those who feel disconnected and alone. And Lord, help us to have a spirit of thankfulness. Help us to have a gratitude, have a celebratory song. Help us to thank you for who you are and the salvation that you bring. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.